0: worry, I ain't singing. So. Next time we'll add a All right, we're on. Y'all are almost in trouble. We got a dead clock back there. I, I, don't have my watch, but we have my phone, so we'll be all right. And y'all ate into five minutes of my time, so you can't. <laughs> so tonight, I want to just first off, just commend the young men for coming up here to sing. That was God. God blesses you for coming, getting out of your comfort zone, and glorifying Him in whatever fashion that that might be. That was that was good. Appreciate that. The message I want to focus on tonight is trusting in God's plan. We always say we trust in God's plan, and we try to live by that. But when hard times come around, we start to question God when things go wrong, and might not be according to our plan. Um, we we tend to question and trust or not trust God as much as we'd like to. And I want to focus on that message out of the book of Habakkuk, a book that is not often preached out of. I haven't heard many messages out of this book, but there's a lot of good good things to learn out of the, the book of Habakkuk, just a small little three-chapter book in the Old Testament. And Habakkuk is a different book than most of the books in the Bible, and that's in a in the sense that it's it's not really telling a full story of Habakkuk it's God's not telling Habakkuk to go do something he's not telling him to go preach somewhere, he's not telling him to go um, talk to these people or doesn't really have a work for him per se in this book that um that is mentioned. Habakkuk is different in a way that it's just a conversation between God and himself. It's Habakkuk praying and crying out to God the whole time and God responding, and that's the entire book is just their conversation. They're, quite frankly, they're, they're talking politics in a way. God here is changing the climate of Judah, the nation and its rulers, and... We'll start in Habakkuk. We'll read the first four verses. And then we'll kind of break down from there. Verse 1, it says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So this this is his burdens, his concerns, that he's crying out to God. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance, for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are not, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never never go forth, for the wicked doth a compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And I really want to focus on verse four out of those. Those there, and I think we can really parallel that what Habakkuk is crying out for to what we feel today, what a lot of us as believers feel today. In verse 4, Habakkuk really has four concerns that he mentions. The first one is the law being slack, the law being powerless. In other words, the law seems to mean nothing to a lot of people today. We see a lot of lawlessness in the world, And we don't quite understand it, but I want to kind of get to a point. I don't think Habakkuk, particularly in this passage, is talking about governmental laws or local laws. I believe he's focused more on the law of Moses because he is in Judah. This is the Jews, the Israeli people, and they're under the law of Moses. And he's crying out to God saying, these people no longer respect your law. They no longer respect the word you've given us and what we should abide by. Therefore, Moses' law is powerless. It's slack. If we read over in Matthew 24, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read there real quick. It's just kind of a parallel with today and what is to come. Matthew 24 is Jesus giving the signs of the end times. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus tells us that the, the last days will, um, iniquity will abound. Let me read that verse. It says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And in the context here that Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to, in, to uh, believers and in a spiritual context. So when iniquity is abounding here, I believe it's iniquity against God's law and God's word and not necessarily local law, because there's other versions that say lawlessness, and a lot of people will kind of point that to governmental law and local law. But I believe here he's speaking of God's law and God's word. There will be sin against God's word and against God. People will no longer follow what God has to say or, or what God commands, and this will abound in the last days. So we're facing that today. Habakkuk was facing it in the Old Testament. When we don't abide by God's laws and they're ignored, it creates fools. The Bible calls them fools. And really the only way to explain everything that's going on, I've been talking every time this subject kind of comes up, the only, th- the only way to explain the foolishness we see is, like Second Peter says, the people will become willingly ignorant of what's around them. And that's that's really the only way I can explain a lot of the stuff I I see. People are willingly ignorant of what God what what God commands, and willingly ignorant of the truth that's out there, and they don't want to see it because it makes them feel wrong, and they don't want to be wrong. The second thing, the second um, concern Habakkuk covers or cries out to God is justice never comes says so we feel like the ones that are in need of judgment aren't getting the judgment they deserve when they're open, open openly against christianity they're open against churches being open we i mean we saw that last year it was prevalent churches needing to close down and christians being ridiculed for gathering and pastors being arrested there's politicians, the tech CEOs, I and mean, the people that just feel like they have a control of, of this world. They're not getting the judgment we feel they deserve. The third thing that Habakkuk is concerned with is wickedness surrounds the righteous. I mean, we can see that today without a doubt. As righteous believers, we're, we're outnumbered. The world has us outnumbered, and, and they're surrounding us. The Verse 4 says that they're encompassed, they encompass the the righteous. Everywhere we look, we see it. We see it in TV and and movies and music, the internet. I mean, businesses, even books and even toys are becoming more wicked. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the toys I see for for little kids that just, the wickedness is unreal and it surrounds us. Same with Habakkuk, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just human condition and the cycle we go through on this earth. Matthew 10:16, Jesus says we are sent into the world as sheep amongst wolves. And that's exactly how it feels. You always have to be looking over your shoulder for that wolf, ready to take advantage of you in some way. But Jesus warned us that that's going to happen in this world. That's happening here in Habakkuk, and it's happening today and it's gonna happen in the future. There's really no way to stop it. We just need to be ready. The fourth concern he has is wrong judgment preceded. So the second one was justice never comes. The fourth one, he feels like justice, was well not really justice, it's judgment coming around, uh, amongst the wrong people. We see the righteous being judged and attacked every day for their beliefs And it's been more prevalent in the last year than I've ever seen. I mean, there's laws and organizations actually being written and built up that are specific, specifically against Christianity. They're built up, there's organizations made to get Christians out of politics, to get Christians out of schools and teachings. And there's organizations out there that have documents that actually say Christians need to be re-educated. And that should be a concern. Re-education is a language we probably heard back in World War II. We don't want to hear that again because we know what that means. But it was a concern back in the Old Testament and it's a concern today. Like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. John 15... 18 and 19. We'll flip there real quick. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. Let's see. Oh. I'm in the wrong spot. Hold on. Here we go. This is Jesus speaking. It says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were in the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So in layman's terms, if the world doesn't hate you, you're not with Jesus or you're not even pretending to be with Jesus. Because the world first hated Jesus, they must hate you for what you do and what you believe. Now, we, we were blessed as a nation to not really see this a lot in the growth of our nation. Of course, it's always been in our history. At some point, there's been, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that's because we're in a sinful world. But there's countries and people all around the world, even today, getting their heads cut off. They have to have church underground because people hate them for what they believe and hate them for following Jesus. And we're, we're seeing that coming very rap- rapidly to America, unfortunately. So the parallels we see between Habakkuk and us today are very similar. This past year especially, like I mentioned, we've seen pastors get arrested for holding church. We've seen people actually being physically attacked for even wanting to go to church. Uh, there was stories, you know, a lot of the bigger churches, that there were people out in the parking lots waiting for the people to get out of church so they could attack them. There were people; They were taking their license plate number so they could report the people going to church. There's Friends reporting friends, neighbors reporting neighbors, and that reminds me of Matthew 24:10. If you remember that verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, it says, "And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another." If you skip down to, well, we'll, we'll read 11 and 12. And many false prophets shall rise again shall rise, and shall deceive many. In verse 12, here it is, And because iniquity shall abound, love of many shall wax cold. Is love waxing cold? Is it starting to wax cold? Friends reporting friends, neighbors reporting neighbors. There's, there's no love anymore. These are all the concerns that we have today, the same as what Habakkuk had. We'll go back to Habakkuk chapter 1. Read the next four verses, starting in verse 5. This is, this is God's reply to Habakkuk after he cries out with these concerns. It says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvel- marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told to you. I'll just pause right there. I mean, he straight up tells Habakkuk, he's like, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. You're not going to believe what I'm about to do. And the only reason you're going to believe it is because I'm telling you. If I didn't tell you, you you would not believe what I'm about to tell you or what I'm about to do. Verse 6 says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land and possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far and shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. Verse 9, it says, They shall come all for violence, for the faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. So I imagine Habakkuk didn't really like that answer. Habakkuk's crying out to God, saying, this is what we're facing, this is what we're seeing. And God says, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow the Chaldeans, which the Babylonians, the southern tribe of Babylon, I'm allowing them to come in and conquer your nation. It says with violence. It's a dreadful and terrible people. I mean... How is, that, how is that the answer Habakkuk wanted? It's it's not. It, I'm sure he expected a little more mercy than that. Let's see. Lost myself in the notes here. Here we are. So God plans to allow the Chaldeans to take over the nation in verse nine. Says they'll come with violence and shall and they shall capture. We don't have to turn there, but Matthew 10, 17 and 18 uh, is when Jesus warns of the end times that Christians will be delivered to their governors and to the councils. They'll be delivered up. And this is what is going to happen in our future. This is what's happening in Habakkuk's future right here. He's being warned by God right here that you're going to be captured. You're going to be conquered. And because Because these are wicked people that are conquering them, they're not going to want the truth of the Jews to be, they're not going to want their light, just like the people today don't want the light of the Christians. So I imagine as they were captured, those that were steadfast in their faith in the law of Moses, they were brought up to their governors and their councils and persecuted and judged because of it. Wrongful judgment, that one of the concerns that Habakkuk had. So this is this is God's plan. And needless to say, Habakkuk doesn't really like this plan. So we'll read uh, verses 12 and 13. This is Habakkuk responding back to God after he gets that answer. It says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Right there he's referring back to... To Jeremiah, when God promises to destroy the the Babylonians, he's saying, haven't you promised to destroy them and you're allowing them to come in and, and conquer us? Verse 13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? So what he's asking God here, or kind of questioning God, he says, how, how can you let a people that is more wicked than us take us over? Right there in, in verse 13. You, you, you think Habakkuk was expecting a plan of better people coming in to fix the problem. And that's not what God, God's plan was. God's plan was to have worse people in order to fix the iniquity and the violence that Habakkuk was crying out to God about. God's plan was to bring in more iniquity and more violence to straighten out his people. Isn't that how we feel today? I mean, we just feel like At some point, I mean, there's a breaking point at some point. And we feel like there's a lot of stuff getting worse in this world. And there's a lot more evil surrounding us and a lot more legislation and such coming in to where Christians just don't have a chance and won't have a chance. Habakkuk was facing the same thing. But God God has a plan. And that's kind of the whole structure and point of this book is to hear God's plan. And even though you don't like it, trust God's plan. We'll skip skip into chapter 2 and the first three verses. Um, Habakkuk kind of sets himself up to wait on God. In verse 1 it says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer and when I am reproved. So this is Habakkuk setting himself up. Um, to wait on God's answer to what he just replied with, aren't you pure, aren't you holy? Why are you allowing this to happen? So he sits and waits on God God to answer him again. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So God tells him to wait. To wait. It'll, it'll come. Let's let's see. I'm gonna skip through the rest of chapter two and because I want to get into chapter three. But um, basically, in chapter two, like I said, Habakk- Habakkuk sets up himself to wait on God's answer and. That is, that is something we should learn to do. But if we see something coming that, or know something is coming that we don't necessarily like or agree with or don't understand, do what Habakkuk's doing here. I mean, sure, he, he's questioning and stuff like that, but he's, he's, he's waiting, he's trusting. He's, I mean, he has a right to question, but um, we, we can ask questions of God. He, God wants that. That's how you learn and actually talk with God. But there comes a point where you, you can't... Yeah, you, you step back and you just wait for God at some point and trust um, what's coming. But chapter 2, uh, God gives Habakkuk a list of woes throughout these verses. And I'll just name a few, few here. It says, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness in his house. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity. Woe to him that speaks to idols. That's verse 19. I kinda I paraphrase that one. It basically says, Woe to those who speak to wood and stone that doesn't have a breath in it. You dummies. Like quit quit worship worshiping idols. You're worshiping a rock, you silly fool. But anyways, the, these list of woes that we see in the rest of chapter two. This tells me that God knows exactly what the enemy is doing. He knows exactly exactly what their lifestyle is. He, he knows what their plans are. He knows who he's dealing with. And that's what these, every woe that's covered here, the Chaldeans have done. So woe to them. And like the verses say before, um, wait for it. It'll, it won't tarry. So as we move into chapter 3, don't think that God doesn't see the things that are going on today. The wickedness and the evil, the corruption and everything that's going on today, don't think God doesn't see it. Even with churches today, we're seeing a lot of lukewarm churches and new age stuff that they don't they don't preach the, the whole word of God. They they preach what the world wants to hear. And there's a lot of actual pastors of mega churches that are agreeing with a lot of this legislation that, aggr- that limits Christians from even taking office or, or being in a, a teacher or form of government of some sort. And you can't tell me you're a Christian if you're against, against Christians holding these certain offices because of their beliefs. But God knows what's going on. Just like he knew exactly who he was dealing with with the Chaldeans, he knows who he's dealing with today. Chapter 3 and verse 2, we'll skip to there. It says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known, excuse me, in wrath remember mercy. So what Habakkuk's saying here is he you see him finally to finally starting to trust fully in God's plan. He kind of makes a turn. He says, I've heard your speech, and I was afraid. He admits he was fearful at first. But then he asks God to revive thy work in the midst of the years. Re- revive your work in the coming years. As your plan plays out, I pray that it revives your work. And then also that it revives... Um, I lost my spot. Here we go. Make known. That's what I was going to... Have your work... I want it to be known to the nations as the years go in. So, as your work revives, I pray that um, it's made known. Your law is revived. I mean, everything, he's asking it to be revived through this hard time. And that should be our prayer today, that God, I admit that I was fearful when I first learned... You know what I learned. Especially, we'll just use the example of um, Christians being the target of the leaders of our nation of our nation today. It it might have struck fear at first in your hearts, but Lord, in your time, I pray that you revive your work in our nation, and I pray that you make your work known in our nation again, even though it might take many years. Might take. I mean, we don't know how long it's going to take. But the hard times where we could possibly be going through is no match for God. And we should just pray that those hard times revive his work and revive his church. And I want to finish off at the end of chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. This is where Habakkuk kind of wraps it up and we see that he is starting to fully trust God here. Start in verse 17. It says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places to chief singer on my and in- stringed instruments. <clears throat> so right here in verse 17, he says, even if there's no fruit to harvest, no food to harvest, even if there's no cattle to butcher, if there's no food in our nation after this, I will still trust in you and trust in your plan and, have, and rejoice in your salvation. So no, no matter how hard times might get, I'm still going to trust that your plan is for your good and for your glory. Verse 19, it says, the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet. Now, what's the significance of that? Know that hinds feet are the feet of deer and I, I knew that, but I didn't really understand the significance of it. I was why do we want the feet of deer? It doesn't make sense to me. So I, I, I looked into it, it intrigued me. But um, having the feet of deer, deer are very steady in their steps, very purposeful. Their their back foot lands exactly where their front foot steps, which I did not know that. But their back foot can land not even off of an inch right where the front foot was the back foot was so it tracks perfectly follows the tracks of the ones in front of them but the most important part that i found is not only with deer but specifically in judah and southern in the southern part of israel here gazelle um, is actually the native animal there that i believe Um, Habakkuk is speaking of because hind isn't actually native to to Israel. Um, So I believe kind of in the translation, I mean, it's same species or same kind, I guess you could say, but the gazelle that's in Israel, we can see it today. Have you ever seen those pictures of gazelle on the side of a cliff, just kind of hanging, climbing a cliff that just seemingly impossible to even hold on to? That's what he's speaking of here in have the feet of hind's feet. The, uh, the, the terrain is very rough in Israel, which, uh, which is um, the challenge for these gazelle to go up the cliffs and the mountains. In southern Israel, I've, I found a little fact here, I, I like little facts, but from the Dead Sea or near the Dead Sea to Jerusalem. It, it goes from 1,300 below sea level to 4,000 above sea level in a matter of 40 miles. So it's a very rough terrain. This is the wilderness that most of the Old Testament speaks of. This is where part of it, it kind of happens. But the why is Habakkuk asking for these feet, you know, spiritually? Because of the rough terrain that he's about to face, he wants to be able to traverse it in a way that is not as challenging to him to where he can actually go through the terrain so that's the significance of the hind's the hind's feet he wants to have the spiritual feet to be able to traverse through a terrain that he that is seemingly impossible to just about any other kind any other animal any human so he wants to be able to traverse that and the path they're headed is not easy, and Habakkuk wants to be ready for it. So that's why he asks for the feet of Heinz' feet. So I just want to finish with this. Done in the word here, but we're not, we're not in uncertain times. I, you hear it all over the t- TV or the radio. or People just, when they're interviewing someone, they always say, in these uncertain times, or the commercials, in these uncertain times. I don't believe we're in uncertain times. We know exactly the times we're in. We're we pro- we're probably in the most certain times than any other Christian has ever been in. But it's uncertain to the world because they don't know what's going on. They don't know what God's Word says. They don't know the warnings that He gives us in Revelation and all the prophets. He doesn't they don't know of I mean they they've heard of the end of the End times, or the apocalypse or whatever they want to call it but they don't know the truth of it because they haven't wor- uh, read God's word so they're the ones that are in uncertain times we're not in uncertain times and you shouldn't feel like we are we're going to be faced with hard times there's no doubt about that uh, Jesus calls our times the beginning of sorrows we're going to be with Uh, the birth pains, we're going to see rapid progression of all this stuff going on and all the the wickedness prevailing. And we need to have the hinds feet to traverse the times ahead. So, like I said, Revelation and other books tell us exactly what's going on. So we just need to trust God's plan. Trust that, I mean, He's already given us His plan, just like He told Habakkuk what His plan was. God's given us His plan in this word given us his plan in this word in the book of Revelation. So we must trust his plan because, I mean, we have his plan. So we know exactly what's going to happen. We know exactly what we're about to face, and we need to pray that we have the feet to traverse it. And if we live in fear and give give in to the persecution that we're likely to see, then our witness, our witness stops to the world. And that's not good for anybody. Because the whole point of us being here before we're taken away, is to be a witness to the world. And if, if we stop witnessing to the world before God's time, that's exactly, we're to be like salt. What, what good is salt if it's tasteless? So that's my message tonight. That's all I have, and I hope that kind of encourages you to, to know that we're not in uncertain times and that we should just trust what God has ahead of us, no matter what that might be and to rejoice in persecution not if but when that day comes cuz there's no doubt it's coming we just don't know the day don't know when we will be captured and taken to the governors and councils and when that's going to happen but it's bound to happen it happens everywhere else in the world we're not i don't think we're so special to to get out of that we won't see god's wrath of course but we will we will see persecution at some point and I want us to be ready especially our church. I love you guys too much to see y'all fearful. Don't want to see that. So just thank you for coming out. Hope that encouraged you in some way even though it was a little depressing but but it but we got it. Yeah, we got to take the good with the bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I mean, if you think about it, we're living in a day where the prophets of the Bible, they they would have longed to live in the last days. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. they probably won't deliver you up to him. But (laughs) But I'll uh, go ahead and ask uh, Brother Larry, you want to close us in prayer, please?